great. We're here today to talk about Blues Brothers. We yes. have uh, half a tank of gas, no cigarettes because smoking is bad for you. It's dark <laughs> in here and we're wearing sunglasses. Yes. Hit it. Yes. There's the theme music. And you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And my name is Jeff. And we already heard from Mary Graham. Hello. And Simon's here too. Hello. And Simon just took off his sunglasses. Yeah, you're both, I can't you're, see. You're all taking off your sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, I can't see. Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't, don't worry, good people who are listening to this. There will be a photo because, of course, this is an audio medium. <laughs> but I think there needs to be a photo of us sitting around Absolutely. wearing our sunglasses. Absolutely. There is no shortage of sunglasses here at the library because we use them as like prize swag. So this being a library podcast, 75% of the episodes tend to come together because someone in the back office says something about something and someone says that should <laughs> and, be an episode. And Jeff goes, stop talking until I can put you in front of a microphone. God. Yes. And I heard you two really love the Blues Brothers. <laughs> we do. And the collection tie in is you can come get the Blues Brothers from this library. You sure can. And if you don't own a DVD player, you can sidle over to our library of things and, and borrow a DVD player. Mm-hmm. Although personally, this is my little my little stump speech for uh, physical media. DVD players are $30, my good people. Invest <laughs> in one. Streaming well, platforms do not care about you. Yes, I, I agree, but I will say just buy a Blu-ray player, please. That They're too, like we have Blu-ray. 50 bucks. We have Blu-ray. <laughs> Simon, make sure that we have only the finest movies in Blu-ray. <laughs> the Blues Brothers yeah. is a film that came out in the summer of 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could, could I just nerd out? And oh, please do. Oh, please I'm do. about to. This is. Oh, fantastic. I'm, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to I'm gonna ramble a bit. And I don't know if I'm going to cover some points that Simon wants to get to, no. but hopefully, hopefully we'll find our way. Go for oh, it. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd really, probably to this day, likes blues and, and, and R&B music a lot. He also likes paranormal stuff. Basically, he made movies of his two passions. Good yes. for him. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and Dr. Detroit. But we don't <laughs> talk about that. Dr. Detroit with music by Devo, I think, or something. Yes. Uh, fantastic. So Dan Aykroyd's on SNL, and he has his buddy, John Belushi. And John is like, boy, Dan, you really like blues music and dan was like yeah what are you talking about get on board and he does and they <laughs> turned it into a sketch their buddy paul schaefer who's i think part of snl's band at that point he still is isn't he? maybe maybe i think he might have been the musical director even he was yeah. just crucial the obviously guy. he was yeah. a guy keyboardist pianist uh arranger i don't know i don't think he was a singer <laughs> uh paul helps well paul in the band for snl backs them up and they do their performance and then they want to do a live performance on the road and they want to open up for Steve Martin. And Steve Martin at this point is basically... You can't see me, but I'm playing the air banjo. <laughs> Steve Martin, to his credit, and I hopefully am not getting this wrong because there were lots of amazing comedians in the 70s, but he's the first comedian to basically play for a crowd of thousands. So that's worth mentioning. He was the rock star comedian. And so he is doing one of his big amphitheater performances and Dan and john do their thing and paul was like hey can i hook you up with some incredible musicians <laughs> no like no wait no it wasn't paul well paul gave him some leads paul was mixed paul was like hey i really like my snl saturday saturday night live band but 
you know, Dan was like, hey, these guys from Memphis, these guys from Chicago, these guys from New York, they're amazing. I'm going to jump in. Jump and in. Like, these guys from Memphis. Exactly. Steve Cooper and Donald Duck Dunn, who are literally half of Booker T and the MGs. Exactly. The Memphis group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Memphis group. Basically, Memphis's Motown. Yeah. Incredible. House band for Stax Records. Incredible. <laughs> Uh, so they perform, uh, they open for Steve Martin and kind of the rest is history. Then it goes on to being the movie that we're now talking about. A three hour, nearly three hour comedy. <laughs> nearly three hour comedy. With some of the best musical acts of the 20th century. Yes. And also, as of the last time I watched it, kind of a fun, perhaps unintentional commentary on the militarization of the American policing system. Yes. I think that's there. <laughs> I think that's I, there. Um, yeah. My, wh whenever anybody mentions like, oh, this movie couldn't be made today, blah, blah, blah. Sure. I, I generally go pish posh. It totally could be. Sure. The only one that I'm like, maybe not is Blues Brothers because it's like. They wrecked so many police cars. Well, they wrecked so many police cars, but it's also, it's like the prison system is stupid. Right. Cops are not great. Right. Anti-fascist. Right. Um, Illinois Nazis. <laughs> yeah. I hate Illinois Nazis. Direct action. Driving yeah. Nazis off a bridge. Yeah, exactly. More Direct of that energy, please. <laughs> <laughs> so we also recently just got the uh, the unrated, not theatrical cut DVD donated yes. to the library. Um, so I was just kind of like scanning through it yeah. before... This started and there is an audible fu in the scene with the Nazis yeah. from the crowd, and yeah. this is still at a point in time where the f. Can I say it? Sure. Ooh, you say sure. All right. Well, you couldn't just say f in a movie sure. back in 1980, but they managed to sneak it in there as someone screaming at the Nazis to f off. <laughs> well, that's an intense scene because that crowd is going insane because they right. evidently hate Nazis, and John Landis was like, "Hey." Crowd extras go crazy. And yeah. I'm sure one of those extras let it loose. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, he is center framed. Oh. You can't <laughs> miss it. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So. And perhaps most importantly, Carrie Fisher with a flamethrower. Yeah. Carrie Fisher with a flamethrower. Let me just nerd out and say that we're, we are, you know, it might seem random in August of 2023 to be talking about a movie that came out in the summer of 1980, but we are right about on the cusp of the 45th anniversary of that Steve Martin appearance yeah. that I'm talking about. Yeah. So the Blues Brothers giving themselves to the world. I guess we're celebrating that anniversary. Plus also, listen, Paul Rubens is in that movie for like two seconds. That's right. So he's, he's the waiter. The French restaurant. Yeah. And that's the fun thing about this movie is so mm. I have seen this movie multiple times. My parents are big fans of it. I was born outside of Chicago. I was born mm. in Barrington, okay. um, which until my family moved to Detroit was the long the the place my parents had lived in the longest. Um, they'd lived in outside Chicago when my dad was in grad school, and they moved away and later came back for for one of his jobs. And so we're very much a Detroit family now. But but as we were still settling into Detroit, like and, and we still have a lot of love for Chicago. So my parents love this movie because this movie is brought to you by the great city of Chicago. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and uh, and so I saw it as soon as my parents were like, well, the, the off color jokes will fly over her head. We've shown her <laughs> Mel Brooks. It doesn't seem to have scarred her. And the music's really, really good because we listen. We yeah. went on a lot of road trips. My extended family's from South Carolina. 
so every summer we were in the car for 12 hours mm -hmm. and so my parents were like what a wonderful time to introduce our child to ray charles mm -hmm. and they were right, right and yeah. so you know they were like all right we can trust this you know 12 year old to sit through three hour movie because ray charles is there and look that's aretha franklin and we live in detroit now and you know who all these people are yeah. jesus h christ i see the light and <laughs> and then as i've watched it again and again as i've got older like it there's there's all this fun appeal like when i was 12 i was like it's aretha franklin and now that i'm in my late 20s i'm like it's aretha franklin those guys hate nazis uh, and yeah. there's carrie fisher with a flamethrower yeah you know it's that there's there's as you continue your like movie watching life you find more and more people when you watch this movie that you mm -hmm. go oh my god it's that guy and then oh, when yeah. you like read about snl in the 70s and early 80s you're like well of course because they all knew they were all just like we'll just come just come do my project that I'm doing. One of my favorite human beings ever, John Candy, of course, too. So. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The cameos in this movie are bananas. And like, again, as a 12 year old, I'm not going to recognize Paul Rubens. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like uh, Steven Spielberg is in that movie briefly. Very briefly. Yeah, he's the clerk he's in the, the office at the end. And then Frank Oz is the corrections officer. Frank Oz from The Muppets, the mm -hmm. voice of Miss Piggy. <laughs> and... And this also seems to me to come from an era when you could sum up the premise of a movie in a sentence. Yeah. So like for, for listeners who haven't seen the Blues Brothers, first of all, go to your local nearest public library mm -hmm. and rent it, check it out. Mm -hmm. um, but second of all, the premise of the Blues Brothers is that Jake and Elwood are brothers and they are from Chicago and they were raised in a Catholic orphanage called something along the lines of Sister Helen of the Holy Shroud <laughs> and or Saint Helen of the Holy Shroud. The point is that's not a real thing, but it sounds like what the person mm -hmm. who named that orphanage was clearly so steeped in Chicago Roman Catholic. Catholicism like yes. they hit they hit the nail right on the head and so the boys go back to the orphanage where they were raised and they see the penguin who is the nun who is in charge of the place and the penguin says well boys we're running out of money and the archdiocese is gonna shut us down and Jake and Elwood are like this is not acceptable this is this is the place that raised us so they're like don't worry sister we're gonna get you the money we're on a mission from Gad and so there, there is a point where the actress Kathleen Freeman beats them with a ruler. Yes. Which my, which... my mom, who went to Catholic school, mm -hmm. basically did the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yep. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I went to Catholic school. And by that point, uh, the, the nuns were not allowed <laughs> to do that anymore. Although we did have one nun uh, who, if you played with your hair in class, I went to an all girls school. Mm -hmm. uh, if you played with your hair in class, she would start... Uh, D sniffing the scissors <laughs> in an ominous fashion as far as i know she never actually cut a girl's hair but she did threaten but i love you sister bernice i hope you're doing well you're uh, you're getting there but i think it's important to note early on that there's a lot of uh themes of loyalty oh for sure this mm -hmm. for sure toward the toward who the who raised them but yeah. then we're getting into cap calloway territory. towards the yeah. orphanage towards the band so in order to raise the necessary money to keep the orphanage open the boys are like, oh, we're getting the band back together and, and we're going to tour the band mm -hmm. and the money we make from touring the band, we're going to get to right. the orphanage and then it won't close. Mm -hmm. That is the premise of the the next three hours are these boys <laughs> getting the band back together with such musical interludes right. as Aretha Franklin, yep. Ray Charles, Cab Calloway features prominently. Yeah. James Brown. Uh, James, James Brown. Brown. Um, John Lee Hooker. <laughs> John Lee Hooker. And uh, also evading the authorities because they keep, you know, Crashing cars into things. 
103 cars 103 cars were destroyed (laughs) making this movie um and then there's a mysterious woman who's following them trying to kill one Mm -hmm. of them and that's carrie fisher and then they they upset the nazis as you should yeah and so then the nazis are chasing them and so by the end you know they've got the band back together they're performing to this sold out auditorium and they're Mm -hmm. like you know we would also like to thank the fine upstanding members of the illinois state law enforcement who have decided (laughs) to join us this evening the magic trick i think this movie also does is that it is it feels feels like a road trip movie without really totally. leaving Chicago. They do travel a little bit to go to Bob's Country Bunker. It's not really stated. I it, it's within drivability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in that sense that they keep meeting people in sort of an odyssey way yes. of just mm-hmm. like it feels like Which they are Which is just what living in a city is like. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like a road trip comedy, but it also feels like a musical. But it's not really a musical. It's kind of a jukebox musical. Yeah. But also. But but also it's just an excuse to hear Ray Charles sing yeah. Shake a Tail Feather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, oh man, it's funny that we can sum up this movie in like a sentence or two, but Dan Aykroyd had never written a script before. Mm. And he turned in a 380 page like, this is the lore of the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is very excitable. Yes. He's very excitable. He also notoriously wrote, like, only a 38-page screenplay for Ghostbusters, which involved, uh, who knows what, aliens. And There's something about that that just screams sketch comedian to me. Yes. Is that he's either going to turn in a 38-page script or a 380-page mm-hmm. script. Dan Aykroyd is a great collaborator. Yeah. Like, if mm-hmm. he has someone... It's going to be who good. tells him yeah. done. Right. No. Yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. No, jo- John Landis rewrote the 380 page thing into a usable screenplay. Thank yeah. you for your service, John Landis. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, also, John Landis is in the movie as the cop that gets his watch broken in the mall chase scene. Oh, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so they are getting the band back together. Yes. And they, they do eventually. They do, even though Aretha Franklin's not happy about it. No, you that's better r- think. Yeah. You better think about the consequences of your actions. That's right. That is my favorite scene. Guitar Matt Murphy. Uh, yeah. from, from the movie is her singing Think, in part mm-hmm. because it's a song that's personally relevant to my life on a number of levels, oh, yeah. um, but also because uh, her demeanor in that film is very much reminiscent of my great-grandmother <laughs> who raised my mom. And so whenever my mom watches it, she's like, Aretha Franklin in her house slippers just like granny and <laughs> and also you better think about the consequences of your actions is yeah. exactly something my granny would have said so mm-hmm. incredible uh well, oh man so much to talk about yeah well so paul schaefer was integral in getting this off the ground uh half-ass internet research will tell me that <laughs> John Belushi was a little moody one time and didn't like that Paul was currently helping Gilda Radner with her Broadway show. So he said, you're not going to be in the movie. We're going to get Murphy done, I think, instead to kind of be there, which he does a fine job. But that's supposed to be John Belushi not also doing quite a bit of cocaine during this. And this is the thing they make up like six months later. Mm -hmm. So and Schaefer's back in the band. But it's like he misses the movie. So. uh Uh, the Murph Tones um, playing in the <laughs> in the most seventies lounge that has ever existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where they get the Murph Tones and they go over to get Guitar Matt Murphy. So little by little, obviously the band gets back together. Yeah. And, they, mm-hmm. and they go to Bob's Country Bunker. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about this movie is that they 
encounter these incredible musicians and basically just either sit witness to or are supportive to the performers. Yeah. Uh, they they get to do like three songs mm-hmm. as the Blues Brothers. Yeah. But they're really just there to support. And well, there's a great story about them about dan and john like dancing in the background during think like at one point they like mm-hmm. get up from where yeah, they're sitting yeah. at the counter and they're just sort of doing a little sure. a little dance yeah. in the background which they they i don't think they'd really rehearsed it wasn't scripted mm-hmm. and they they were explicitly not trying to take away from yep. the people who were actually doing the number they were right. like we do not want upstage Aretha Franklin. right they're but, like not even mouthing like, along <laughs> no but it's they just felt moved right. by the moment because mm-hmm. who wouldn't right, right, right um and and yeah i mean i think that that is and i i think also in my own half-assed internet research mm-hmm. you know i had read that there was some trepidation perhaps on the part of the studios because when isn't there oh, about yeah. oh none of these people are yep. this is not current music Right. Like mm-hmm. the the pop music of the nineteen of of nineteen eighty mm-hmm. is not yeah blues they, music, and they were like, "Ask us if we care." It's mm-hmm. Ray Charles. Right. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. The studio at the time was very much like none of these people have had hits in decades. Like, can you at least get some like modern disco people in for blah blah blah? Like, apparently, even Cab Calloway was like, oh, we could do like a more upbeat version of Minnie the Moocher if you want to make it more poppy. And Dan Aykroyd specifically was like, no. No. Uh-uh. Uh, and when you think about the career that Cab Calloway has had, right, right. like I think about watching him because I, for various reasons in my academic career, have seen the very creepy Snow White cartoon. Oh, yeah. That he's the backing vocals yeah. for. And that's from like the 40s. And so, you know, you look at that and you look at him in the Blues Brothers 40 years later and you're like, my God, this man mm-hmm. like is the history of great american music of the 20th century yeah uh and like so much care was put into the soundtrack to this movie like not just obviously everybody uh gets speaking roles that leads into musical numbers but even like the incidental background music like again i was just scanning through it before this podcast and there's a bit where they're just driving through town and there's some background music playing and it takes like several seconds to focus on the eight track tape. So, you know, it is Sam and Dave that is playing. Sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> and like they didn't have to do that. Or yeah. the uh, Peter Gunn theme, which was another mm-hmm. 50s. Do, 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 do. So Sorry, I we think the rights, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do like the for me, the nostalgia marker is always 30 years. That's why mm-hmm. that's why you see kids starting to sound like Nirvana again. And that's why <laughs> uh, seven years ago you saw Stranger Things being a thing because we always look back yeah. 30 years. This is like the beginning of everyone looking back to the 50s, mm-hmm. which of course peaks later with Back to the Future. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, um, you're starting to see that Peter Gunn theme, etc. cetera. I, the, I'm just going to jump into it. Do you have favorite scenes from this movie? Not just songs, but like favorite scenes? I... There's a couple of things I'm partial to. One of them is the visual of the band at the country bar playing behind chicken wire mm-hmm. <laughs> while things are being thrown at them. Um, Again, part of them being like, a, the, the, I, I read a great article that said this was always at least those two human beings as comedic actors. This was always supposed to be 50-50 music and comedy. Yeah. And I think they're very careful to do that. They yeah. are, they're basically... They're basically the butt of jokes, yeah. And it mm-hmm. peaks there with country, yeah. the country um, bunker. The the peng anything to do with the penguin, sure. in part because I in my personal life know a lot of nuns, sure. Um, who it, it, they are friends of the family, and my dad has lovingly been I, on the other them hand, penguins since I was none. Yeah, God. 
You did That's it. low even for you. <laughs> um, My grandma's a ruler suddenly. Uh, uh, but I and of course scenes with the with the kind of the lines that were famous in my family like you know it's dark outside and we're wearing mm -hmm. sunglasses hit it um mission from god we're on a mission from god and like <laughs> it's specifically it's, it's with the, a Chicago it's accent. the god it's the and there's yeah. there's a wonderful there's a one of the preachers at my church is a wonderful man and a fantastic preacher but he says it like god and he's from here but for some reason <laughs> he's got the blues brothers pronunciation mm -hmm. and so every time he preaches i'm like oh we're, we're on mission right. um Episcopalians also enjoy making a joke about the Wesley brothers who ultimately ended up founding Methodism. Um, mm -hmm. There are bumper stickers with the two of them wearing sunglasses uh -huh. and it says we're on a mission from God because um, uh -huh. that was very much their vibe. Um, but I think perhaps my favorite like non-musical moment is when it is revealed who Carrie Fisher is uh, and yep. she is the scorned fiance of Jake who was left at the altar mm -hmm. and he takes off he's like covered but she's been like chasing them through the sewers he's covered mm -hmm. in mud and he <laughs> and takes mud, off his yeah right <laughs> and he takes off his sunglasses for one of the few times in the mm -hmm. movie and just looks at her and the she goes and time. she goes Jake baby and like immediately <laughs> forgives him but then he misses their next planned rendezvous and she tries to kill him again yeah Carrie Fisher, I love you, yeah. and I know you're listening from your place in the sky. <laughs> she was uh, uh, she was dating Dan Aykroyd at the time. That makes it even funnier. Yeah, she, uh, she wrote about it in one of her memoirs and was just like, "Yeah, they set up a full bar on set." Like, <laughs> so those but, are yeah. those are my highlights. Those are my favorites. Of course, one forget can't forget Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my favorite non musical scene is the chase through the mall. A just classic. because they're so deadpan, like, oh wow, Pier One Imports smash. Yep. The new Oldsmobiles are in early this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, malls were kind of just a thing. Like they were mm -hmm. just becoming a thing. So that would have been Yep, and that would have been incredibly expensive to film, which once again, most expensive comedy ever Is made. Is there a which... jewel Osco in there somewhere? I feel yeah. like at some point they're parked in front of a jewel, which again making a lot of family trips to Chicago mm -hmm. in my youth. My mom loves the frosted brownies that you can like mm. only get at Julasco. And then there's like, it's not, is it, it's not seven up. There's some other kind of pop that you can like only get there that my parents would always stock up on. Um, they're going to, I shame on the family, but I can't remember <laughs> the name of it. But at least you said pop and not soda. Well, God, of course. So God, <laughs> Jeff, where do you think I was raised? Uh, um, and then, you know, there's probably an old style product placement. I think at some point they go past Wrigley Field. Like, oh, well, no, they, they put know. Wrigley Field as their fake address. Right. Yes. Yeah. They're like, whatever, whatever, you know, Addison. Yes. And it's like 1060 West. Yeah. This is Wrigley Field. And I mean, my parents are diehard Cubs fans. Mm -hmm. I was raised at one of the first. Uh, sentences I learned how to say to my grandfather who pulled for the Atlanta Braves was mm -hmm. go Cubbies, no go Braves. <laughs> like you got to imagine like a three-year-old. Yeah. So my parents raised me with a lot of Chicago love That's and great. this movie was very much involved in that. Oh, for sure. Music is important yep. to them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the beginning conversation, he is, uh, Jake is credulous that he sold the Bluesmobile, quote mm -hmm. unquote, mm -hmm. uh, and he finds out that he traded it for a microphone. And he's like, oh, okay. Ah, microphone. Yes. And he immediately says, okay, that makes, yeah. that tracks. Yeah. Now, Jake, unfortunately, uh, sweet talks Carrie Fisher, but then dumps her. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, like, some of my favorite aspects are when, again, going back to how much music means to them, John Belushi 
continues to encounter his old bandmates. His own bandmates continue to say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go with this again after the last time. And he always says, but he's always careful to say, but you were amazing and you still are amazing. And I mm-hmm. want to believe there's sincerity there. I know he's kind of a con man too, mm-hmm. but I think that music is truly all he cares about. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not Carrie Fisher. Um, it's kind of this weird, almost reverse music man yeah. where they're all mm-hmm. still kind of con men. Yeah. But instead mm-hmm. of Harold Hill, who can't tell one note from another, but he's awfully interested in that librarian over there, right. he's not mm-hmm. interested in Carrie Fisher, which skill issue couldn't be me. <laughs> um, but music is everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, man. All right. So my favorite. So my favorite non-musical scene, it was kind of that. It's basically any time uh, Jake is showering his bandmates who are leery of him with compliments. And my favorite scene is when Elwood brings Jake to his apartment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the L goes past. And, and it's just... the size of a closet. Yep. Uh-huh. And yet he still has a bed and a record player and a toaster mm-hmm. oven because what else do you need? And, and you then can sleep through the L going past because you get used records. to it. There's yep. something cinematic about that sequence yeah. that really... Mm-hmm really moves me how much does the train go by so much you won't even notice and and also so realistic like this is not one of those shows set in new york where you're like they could not afford that apartment they're like that looks like a nice apartment actually you know (laughs) but the economy is in shambles something so touching uh about it uh elwood falls asleep and he says hey you sleaze you get out of my bed but then he's like oh you're but you're my brother yeah Mm -hmm. and you just still get a nice little moment with dan and yeah. let the good times roll. Mm-hmm. I don't even think he has a toaster oven. I think he literally just puts a piece of toast on a little metal rack That's right. on top of the oven. Yeah. That's right. Like, yeah. White toast. Just plain. Yes. The white toast <laughs> and Four fried, fried chickens. chickens and a Coke. And then we can get into the uh, chases in the cars. I think there are no less than 87 cars wrecked, if not more. 103. Oh, my God. <laughs> The record was only broken by one of the G.I. Joe sequels, so, you know. 103, but like 98 of them are police cars. Yes. And they are trying to make a point. And and one of them is a Ford Pinto, right? Yeah. Like the Nazis, dro- they had to get a special license from the federal aviation people to drop that car from that height. And the FAA was literally afraid it was going to be too aerodynamic <laughs> and it would go flying into a building. <laughs> And they, they did actually crash it through the, the Daily Plaza, but they swapped out the glass. So, like, again, most expensive comedy ever made, but, yeah. like... <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Incredible. And the first the first SNL movie ever made, but, again, they don't, yeah. they don't know that SNL movies are going to be a thing right. later. And they'd actually both left SNL at that point. Right. People were really worried it wasn't going to make its money back. Right. Yeah. So there's lots of accidents and crashes and police chases yeah. i think it starts early on the police pull them over and mm-hmm. they realize elwood has about a hundred unpaid tickets yep. and some like a record so long and he says i'm going to uh pedal the metal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and from then it just increases mm-hmm. more and more people and and honestly i mean the 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 more people they they, they meet musicians and they continue to piss people off it's like yes the same graph exactly <laughs> um and and i mean i think because like what have these guys done this is this is right. where I think the commentary <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the justice system and the militarization of the police comes in. Hundred percent. Because what have these guys done? Right. Put ticket 
vehicular Mm -hmm. problem tickets and Mm -hmm. you run some Nazis off a bridge once and everybody is like, oh my God, you ran the Nazis (laughs) off a bridge instead of thank you for your service. Uh, And so, and it it just, by the end, you know, they're turning this money in for the Mm -hmm. orphanage at the office where Steven Spielberg is the clerk. Yeah. And and, and they do. hundreds of police. And just by the way, like they do save Mm -hmm. the mission from God succeeds. Oh yeah, Uh, as it should. But as it should. Um, but they are just surrounded by police with mm-hmm. so many guns. Oh my god, oh, yeah. there's so many guns. And and when you look back at this film and you're like, well, they were just getting the band back together. Uh-huh. What's all this hullabaloo? There's, there's even a couple tanks. Yes. And they even shoot down the door. Well, in the, the yeah. comedic factor of the guys. Oh, the absurdity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it is absurd. But also, you know, the last time I watched this film, I did not have time to watch it right mm. close to this uh, because as we've mentioned it's nearly three hours mm. it is worth it though sometimes you watch a movie that's nearly three hours and you're like this should have been 90 minutes I do not think the Blues Brothers is one of those films yeah. um, but so I didn't have time to rewatch it but the most recent time I watched this was it was a quarantine movie night that my yeah. parents and I did <laughs> uh, and so there was a lot of Mm-hmm. We were all having a good hard think about the role of police in American society. Yep. And so I watched this movie and I also became Leo DiCaprio pointing yeah. meme where right. I was like, oh my God, it's, it's they weren't very happy about the role of police in American society either. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I also think there's there's something there also about like crime, jail, rock and roll. Peter Gunn theme, yeah. Peter yeah. Gunn theme, yeah. exactly. And actually, uh, I, I didn't come into this podcast expecting to have sort of read alike book recommendations for this movie <laughs> um but if you enjoy the blues brothers you should check out soul music which is a disc world novel by terry pratchett oh, right um on. which is has the same combination of utter sincerity about the power of rock and roll really really funny right and also like all of those tropes about and they're all kind of on drugs and the police want them mm-hmm. uh but the music's really good and at heart, they're good people because they believe in the music. Right. Um, also, if you read soul music, uh, you spend most of the book with uh, Death's goth granddaughter <laughs> who shows up in a later book as like goth Mary Poppins. This Read Discworlds. There are flowcharts about where to start. This has been PSA. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, loyalty to friendship. Loyalty to friendship. Loyalty yeah. to your friends. Yeah. Uh, the thing that kind of really kicks this movie into gear is they go down to see Curtis, who is kind of a father figure to them, mm-hmm. Cad Calloway, mm-hmm. yep. who I think from scene one is wearing a suit and sunglasses. Yes. Just like them. Absolutely. Even though he's like down in a boiler room. <laughs> yep. Down in a boiler room with three pictures on the wall, and it is Martin Luther King Jr. Um, uh, crap, Malcolm X and RFK. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's wearing a suit because he has standards. No, of yeah. course, of course. But the whole thing of it is that we owe this to Curtis, and then we owe this also to the Penguin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and later on, when they're getting to the big show, uh, Curtis is rallying all the children. It's is it an orphanage? It's it is an orphanage. He's yeah. rallying all the children, basically saying, you know, these these two were just like you when they were little, mm-hmm. so we got to help them. So loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Uh, well, and also know. just to you know use the parlance of the day, like yeah. found family, right? Mutual aid, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I again, it's been a couple years since I've seen it, but I feel like it does. I mean, most of the musicians who perform in this film are black. Yeah, most yeah. of the people doing the musical numbers, and I feel like it. You know, 
Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi are two white guys mm-hmm. who, you know, I think the movie does a decent job of being like, and blues, by the way, like came from oh, like yeah. African-American I always, inventions yeah. in American culture. I always gave them the benefit of the doubt that they were there just to be jesters, yes. but to say, listen, yeah. these four. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, just the care that got put into the soundtrack yep. and making sure that everybody got the credit they were due yep. and yeah. making sure everybody got speaking roles, yep. making yep. sure. Yeah. I mean, and it just makes me think about so one of my favorite musicians right now is Hosier, mm-hmm. um, who is very much a blues musician. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of funny to me. I feel like sort of in the zeitgeist, I don't hear him spoken about as a blues musician, mm-hmm. but I think that's mm-hmm. really what he is and what he would describe himself as. Mm-hmm. And he talks all the time in a way I really appreciate about the debt he owes to black musicians, mm-hmm. especially black American musicians. He's had made a staples, you know, mm-hmm. like on his albums. and And that's just... It's something I appreciate because I don't the blues. It's good music. Yeah. So I'm resisting speaking very disparagingly of Eric Clapton right now. So oh, well. let, let's just let that be implied. Yeah. yeah. Insert your own joke here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. I think that they do. They absolutely get. They literally give them the spotlight mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to James Brown's case. Oh yeah. <laughs> and God it. Yeah, go ahead. No, they apparently had just like a heck of a time trying to get both James Brown and Aretha Franklin to lip sync to pre-recorded tracks. Oh, as opposed to doing it live? Yeah, because Mm -hmm. they'd never done that before. And James Brown, they just gave up. Oh, like that, that is yeah. that is recorded in that church. Jeff, and can then we put like a hand and B three under this whole conversation? <laughs> oh, <for sure. laughs> yeah. Um and Aretha Franklin took like dozens of takes. Oh man. I bet yeah. well and I, that feels like something that is like such a consummate musician. Thing. Yeah. It totally. reminds me actually about um there's an episode of the West Wing that involves Yo Yo Ma playing mm-hmm. um a Bach shell suite in, in G major. Mm-hmm. Minor. Uh. Don't don't come yeah, at me, yeah, music yeah. people. Um, and they initially were like, "Hey, you know, world famous cellist Yo-Yo Ma, can you basically mime to playback or mm-hmm. or play it to playback, right. and we're gonna cut the right. the audio?" And Yo-Yo Ma was like, "Do you are you concerned? Do you need it that way for editing purposes?" And and the director was like, "Yeah, we need it to be you know consistent th- throughout every take because of how we're gonna edit the scene together because mm-hmm. it's a really fantastic." Uh, scene. Uh, it's in the episode Noel, and Yo Yo Ma goes, "Don't worry." Mm-hmm. And they let him play it live, and it was exactly the same on every <laughs> take because he's Yo Yo Ma. Yeah. So yeah. <sighs> but yeah, there's something there about uh, a failing system and an extremely low morale in America. Yeah. And you know, and like who who is. Who's helping each other out? Who's helping yeah. all these orphans out? A couple of ex-cons. Right. And like folks who, until the band gets back together, are working not food unskilled labor jobs. because no labor is oh, unskilled, sure. exactly. but food service jobs, you know, that yeah. are that are paid like crap mm-hmm. and and are just they're like, well, why not get the band? We can we can be paid like crap and not make right. music, or we can be paid like crap and make music and maybe, or, you know, raise some money for these kids oh absolutely i was gonna say or the cheese whiz factory which oh, i can't I forget, forget the cheese whiz factory yeah <laughs> yeah which you only get in the extended cut you don't get oh, it in the okay. original theatrical cut is mm. you have this whole side thing of elwood working yep. at the cheese whiz factory and uh, and in order to get his severance pay out of his boss goes i'm becoming a priest 
Yeah. Yeah. And like in a way, he is. In a way, he well <laughs> certainly he's doing things for the greater good of a Catholic orphanage. And yeah. isn't that not basically the same thing? And so right. Matt, Matt Murphy and saxophonist, I'm forgetting your mm. name, sorry, buddy, uh, are fry cooks. Lulu Marini. Thank you, Lulu. They're fry cooks, but yep. even before that, they keep the scene where they're trying to track them down and you find out that they were boarding. There are mm-hmm. boarders mm-hmm. in a house. Mm-hmm. Like these guys are all broke. Yeah. <laughs> Which also gives me one of my favorite lines. They were nice nice boys. But they made a lot of noise at night. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. From the boarding house. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, loyalty, friends. Uh, but man, to go back to the music that's in this movie, every single song is so full of life, so mm-hmm. vibrant, so celebratory. Uh, I get exhilaration every time I watch this movie, especially during the musical sequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all there. But then you, yeah, but man, there's this, this weird undercurrent of just where America was at in 1980. <laughs> this line that sticks with me for like the weirdest time is uh, they get the guy with the record contract at the end who's backstage and he's yes. like, yeah, well, I'm going to hook you up. I used to be a bouncer here in the 70s. I'm like, that was last year. <laughs> Who talks like that? <laughs> but it just makes me think like, were we so eager to like leave behind the the morass of the 70s mm-hmm. that we we're already talking like that the 70s do not sound they don't sound great no no i mean neither do the 80s in hindsight right. sure. insert anti ronald reagan statement here right um yeah. but recession in 82 <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. uh but that whole sequence is great they do uh someone to love everybody and needs somebody everybody needs mm-hmm. someone to love and you get that triumphant Horn section. That mm-hmm. hook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic. Classic. Yeah. And then they get into Sweet Home Chicago, which yeah. is on the soundtrack and basically on the movie, eight minutes long. Yep. Yep. And I mean, we used to listen when wait, my parents and I are big believers. And when you get to a place, you play the music associated with that place. Yeah, naturally. Uh, so, you know, whenever I fly into to New York, it's Billy Joel's New York State of Mind. Yeah. Uh, I went to, to camp in West Virginia for 16 years, mm. almost heaven, mm-hmm. West Virginia. And sometimes it's, I'm sorry, side rant to defend the great state of West Virginia. <laughs> I have had people ask me, I'll quote that song and they'll go, almost heaven, really? West Virginia, is it really? And I'm like, shut up. In every way that matters, it is. <laughs> also, go read about the history of West Virginia oh, yeah. before you say judgy crap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we would always listen to Sweet Home Chicago as we were rolling in. Mm-hmm. And... Well, with traffic on exactly. the way Chicago, like, you're going to need those You're going to need more than those eight minutes, <laughs> frankly, which is why we also had, you know, other, like the actual band Chicago mm-hmm. queued up. Um, yeah. With, without saying it out loud, it also is the opportunity in the film to have this backing band that's been with the guys the whole time. Really mm-hmm. shine. They get a chance to cook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My favorite part of that, that whole like end performance scene though, actually is Minnie the Moocher with the Naturally. back and forth with the audience. Because mm-hmm. you just see how like Cab Calloway for his whole career, you're like, man, had people eating out of the palm of his hand. That yeah. was the exact phrase I was going to use. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... Which is just, there's just a level of artistry and I don't at all want to imply that it doesn't exist anymore because yeah. I don't think that's true. Um, well, I I would argue that people aren't necessarily allowed to be in that, uh, yeah. like at that kind of like audience participation level yeah. in, at, mm, not, well, not to go on a rant about late stage capitalism, but oh, I'm going to go on a rant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A scenario where you can have just 500-ish people in a theater yeah. like that. Yeah. 
and interacting with them that strongly and having people be like that into it and that present too because of course i mean it's 1980 nobody's got a smartphone not to say like a cell phone which again not to be like oh you kids in your phones but like who would who would even fill a theater that size and have that kind of audience participation these days who would also be that kind of a classic musician who would be able to afford the life that he leads Mm -hmm. even without putting out hits for a couple decades right you know right yeah it is a beautiful moment of giving cap calloway his flowers yeah yeah you have been in this business for 50 years sir Mm -hmm. (laughs) now we're gonna have an entire theater singing along to you yeah it's incredible (laughs) with a great band behind yeah uh and then you have john candy ordering orange whips which (laughs) i still don't know what they are i probably asked my dad once or twice (laughs) um and that leads us into a gigantic police chase yep Mm mm-hmm that goes all night long, mm-hmm. which gives us the line. It's a hundred hundred and two miles to Chicago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Half a tank of gas, a full pack of cigarettes. It's dark outside and we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> and hit it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, things go off the rails for the police cars. <laughs> uh, and John Candy delivers also one of my favorite lines of the movie. Uh, this is car 55. We're in a truck. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man not to be like they don't make them like that anymore but they don't they literally don't <laughs> and i just i'm begging like i can't say i'm begging for the return of the mid-budget film when we're talking about the most expensive comedy <laughs> made. although i am begging for the return of the mid-budget film and also the mm-hmm. return of like teen comedy adaptations of literature that are good <laughs> um but i just it's just hard to, I don't know, Simon, you've seen Barbie. I yeah. haven't seen it yet. It feels, tragedy. pardon? <laughs> it's a tragedy. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> um, I'm waiting I'm waiting for you to get the DVD when the DVD comes well, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that I can watch it for free. Sure. Um, and, I mean, but no, that is, that is the thing, isn't I, it? Because that was a big practical effects movie yeah. where all the sets were actually built. And all it, the backgrounds were painted. And it was expensive. And yeah. also it's all anyone is talking about. Yeah. Fun cameos too. Fun, Tons cam- of fun cameos. Yeah. Um, almost a musical. Almost, okay. yeah. Interesting parallels. <laughs> and here. so, you know, I don't sunglasses. Don't want to ignore the fact that it is also a two-hour toy commercial. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but there's just something about the fact that like I can't escape it. I turn mm-hmm. it, and it, and not that I don't have an interest in seeing it. I just yeah. haven't been to a movie theater since 2020. Well, um, like, but it's just like, I'm like, hi, Mattel. Like this, it it's not the answer to the success of Barbie is not to make a ton of other films based on Mattel toys. It's to invest in comedy, mm-hmm. yeah. in like well, thoughtful comedy. That, that comes up in a lot of the the interviews that Greta Gerwig gave before the strike, where she was just like, this is just the only way these movies get made now. Yeah. Which if they're a yeah. massive like intellectual production. property, which yeah. I hate. Yep. Same. Um, Greta Gerwig, I'm well, so excited you're taking over the Chronicles of Narnia. Please call me. That's Please the other me. thing is that technically this movie could have been on a shoestring because you just need yeah. guys in suits in front of musicians. Right. And but they were like, no, 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 man. We have 98 police cars big. that aren't going to wreck themselves. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, we got to drop that Pinto from a thousand feet in the air. Because I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah. Buckle up, boys. We got a point to make. But also like <laughs> 19, like... 
This is just a random note, not necessarily a positive one. Like 19, 1980s, possibly sketchy stunt coordinating because like yeah, people, people definitely like stunt French connection style. Today is sketchy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so they have this epic chase. They're trying to get to the county clerk, something mm-hmm. like that, so that they can drop off all this money for to the, pay the taxes, to pay the taxes for the, for the that's orphanage. That's your big climactic sequence. Yes. Yeah. You have to get to a clerk to, to the county yes. clerk, and the county clerk like not even like the clerk himself but the guy working the desk is steven spielberg yeah that's right yeah the possibly the most random cameo what <laughs> what is that what is that i'm still it's so that people could go this hey, steven spielberg <laughs> well if people even knew what steven spielberg looked like it's back true. then like it's before true. the internet all these that is an easter egg that like... only gets better with age yeah yeah that would have been interesting it's right. like he's like I don't know. I don't know. There's no parallel because he's literally Steven Spielberg, but right. <laughs> he's still pre-Raiders, pre-E.T. Spielberg. Mm-hmm. So he's not like a superstar yet. Yeah. It's right. interesting. They're probably just like, oh, we need a oh, your friend Steven. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Can he come on Thursday and be the, the guy? Shark and the mashed potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Paul Rubens was pre-Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. Like Frank Oz, everybody knows him as a Muppet, not as Frank Oz. Right. Like right. nobody can recognize Frank Oz on sight. Right. Well, or this is the same year. Cr- cricket he did. Is Yoda. But <laughs> Cricket. Oh, yeah. Cricket is special when it comes to the Muppets. Yes. And we all know this. <laughs> um, yeah. I keep yeah. forgetting Frank Oz was also Yoda. Yeah. It was also Yoda. Well. <sighs> and apparently Fozzie and Miss Piggy. Yes. And so completely random because it's late in an afternoon on a weekday. I was mm-hmm. re-watching Muppets Take Manhattan. Naturally. Uh, directed mm-hmm. by Frank Oz. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in which Fozzie and Miss Piggy talk to each other and I was freaking out. Yeah. Anyway. Directing himself, <laughs> talking to himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the number... I, I gotta wonder if he could switch the voices on a dime in oh. between lines. I think like, so. I mean, yeah. the number of, um, of stories I've read about people who work with with Muppets like like when like Muppets will do interviews oh, right. on shows or whatever it's like they're like we forget to mic the human right like yeah. we have accidentally miked Kermit the Frog <laughs> yes and when it hasn't worked we are confused I think it's especially <laughs> worth noting and I, I hopefully don't come off clumsily sounding like an ageist because um, I really come close to a lot <laughs> uh, but that this movie has staying power with all of us who are still mm-hmm. relatively young in the year 2023 when it is kind of a boomer artifact and mm-hmm. full of well the two leads are themselves boomers yeah. and boomers ate this movie up mm-hmm. but it's staying with us old snl stuff john belushi stuff nah, it's I, this yeah the it's thing the movie. thing that stays with me is the music exactly because i think because it's i mean my mom even said to me recently she was like why does Sinatra sound classic? Did it sound classic at the time? Right. And I mean, she's younger than right. than the the mm-hmm. heyday of Sinatra's era. But but she's she's and and I have been a snob since I was old enough to know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I while I enjoy a lot of contemporary pop music, there's also part of me that's like, eh, in the '80s, they knew how to make a movie with good music in it. Nah, 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 nah. Right? Old woman shakes fist at cloud. <laughs> Old woman has not turned thirty yet. Yeah. Uh, but but for me, the you know the staying power is the music. The staying power is the love letter to Chicago, mm-hmm. and I think that would be true even if I didn't have ties to Chicago because sure. I am just obsessed with any love letter to a place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things about Lady Bird, yeah. you know, no, is no, that no. is that yeah, and 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 it makes it even better when it's a place that's like really you wrote a love letter <laughs> to Sacramento. Yeah. yeah, 
Because it's somebody's favorite place. I mean, the same way that people are like, really? Almost heaven? West Virginia? Yes. Shut right. up. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, for me, it's it's the music. It's Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's driving Nazis off a bridge. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. the, it's the oh, yeah, we're getting, we're getting the band back together for the Penguin. It's the loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it just commits to its bit oh, God, so yes. hard. Like, they didn't have to actually crash. Nothing about cars, this is ironic. This is not an ironic film. No. Like, this is this is a deeply earnest film that believes in the power of the mm-hmm. band getting back together. Gosh, dang it. I mean, regular podcast listeners will know that me and my obsession with sincerity <laughs> in media. As you should be. Sincerity <laughs> in media. I've been going back um, because at the time of recording this, Good Omens 2 has recently dropped, mm. uh, which means it's time for me to go back and watch everything Michael Sheen and David Tennant, but especially David Tennant have ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I've, back in the building again? I'm, I'm sorry. St- <laughs> I've gone back to my roots and I've been watching watching the reboot of Doctor Who mm-hmm. except from the beginning because Christopher Eccleston is a national treasure and we do not skip the ninth doctor in this house <laughs> but but as and one of my favorite things about Doctor Who when I started watching it as a 15 year old and now in my adult life god what an earnest piece of media mm-hmm. especially the the early Russell T Davies you know before we let my my rant about <laughs> Stephen Moffat and how we shouldn't let him do anything is not yeah. for this podcast um but it's god it's so earnest mm-hmm. and that that is its strength. All TV shows should be earnest and have a special effects budget of my high school drama club. Yes, I love that. I also love Simon's, uh, what did you say again, sincerity? Oh, yeah, my my just like general s- obsession with sincerity and media. But commitment to the bit. So yeah, there's sure. some there's a criticism that someone could, and it won't be me, but someone <laughs> could lob at this movie. And it's the same criticism I've heard lobbed at ghostbusters it's a saying that there's technically no character growth there's so, technically no arc the bit has been committed to yeah, the, there and, and there isn't like they're on a mission okay. from god is this not enough for you people i i would argue that this movie front loads its character development with that chicago yeah. train apartment scene mm-hmm. yes and the the bit with james brown in the yep. church obviously yep. and the bit with cab calloway and his right. speaking role like yeah, it front loads its characterness sure. and then just goes from there. And then you get to there. have fun listening to music for the next two and a half hours. Yes, right. You're welcome, America. <laughs> yeah. But if there's literally any emotional expression from Dan Aykroyd, I really only get it from the look on his face when he sees his brother asleep. And yeah. other than that, he's just... Oh. And that's kind mm-hmm. of part of the humor, though. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, such a good point, I think, about, about the sincerity. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't as, feel as like I, they they don't feel like the different characters from minute five to minute two hour five. I guess no, like but you but you understand the, that like they believe in it, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're on a mission from God. It's like they don't have to meet you where you're at. You have to yeah meet yeah them. yeah. Well, and also yeah. nobody is like oh seriously. Everyone's like oh man, we're on a mission from God. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's just, I enjoy. Well, that's two rallying lines that everyone can mm-hmm. get behind. Yeah. We're on a mission from God. Yeah. We're getting the band back together. Exactly. Yeah. You're pumped. You're yeah. pumped. I mean, even just like, we're getting the band back together is one Already. Of, it's yeah. right up there with like, I don't know, like what coming out of retirement for one last job. Yeah. Oh, we're putting together a heist full of people who only work alone. This uh-huh. is your PSA to watch Leverage. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like it, there are just those kinds. And then you put a road trip in it. Sign mm-hmm. me up. Yeah. And several movies later have had those like I'm putting a band together. Ocean's Eleven, Armageddon. They all mm-hmm. try it. 
Yeah. And they're going back to this movie. Yeah. Basically. Well, like, again, scanning through it, um, there's just, there's so many, like, classic things in this movie, but also no one ever talks about the cinematography. Yeah. Which, like, you've really just, especially when you've only got, you know, this movie also infamously didn't have a set budget to start with. That is part of the problem and why it became <laughs> one of the most expensive comedies ever made. But um, there's another problem. It's called well, co- cocaine. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> um, but also like, you know, you've got to really, like, really plan a shot if you're doing practical sure. effects. And like they really framed that Pinto dropping from a thousand feet. <laughs> it's like beautifully. But also there's a bit... Um, when in Ray Charles's number where he's playing the piano and they managed to catch a shot of the keyboard reflected in his glasses that yeah. I'm like, that was in like the, all the promo images for Ray when that came out. Yep. And like, that is that movie. That's magic. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. And like, again, you know, because the whole thing was done with practical effects, you know, that was a real shot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Or there's even just something about the way John Candy's standing in front of Wrigley Field and they've like got him and the big, yeah. uh, this red glow. And it's and Wrigley Field. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, anything left unsaid <laughs> about <laughs> Blues Brothers? Jailhouse Rock. Yeah. Uh, great yeah. closing credits. You get to see everybody. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to the crew. Uh, um, one think... of the guys from the Eagles was in that as, as like an extra jumping up on a table. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I feel I think my only comment is to say that I, I think in terms of I think this should become a series called movies with really, really good soundtracks. And I think mm. we need to do Oh Brother, Where Art Thou next? <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's do it. Uh, I'll talk about John Goodman any day. Yeah. Though yeah. so we aren't going to talk about Blues Brothers 2000. No one talks about that movie. I no, refuse to admit that. No. Yeah. Exists. Uh, uh, poor Joe Morton. I'm sorry, oh. Joe. <laughs> I, I guess all that I have to say is like, thanks to my parents for uh, making, even before I saw this movie, making the soundtrack to this movie like part of our family identity. <laughs> yeah, thanks to my parents for not paying too much attention to the politics of that movie so I could absorb them all as a preteen. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also was shown this movie very young. Yeah. But I think it does always come back to, well, the music is mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. These are in- iconic performers, yeah. recording artists, writers, mm-hmm. artists. Blues Brothers. So that's our episode. Thanks for listening. You should come uh, one by one. Come check it out from the library. <laughs> I mean, you can't all put a hold on it at the yeah, same time. We can get copies from other libraries. copies out there. Yeah. That yes. You could put a hold on. And Let me know if you want to see it on Blu-ray. I can make that happen. I mean, I want to see it on Blu-ray, Simon. Oh, okay. <laughs> and well, then I'll make I, that happen. I always have to have to make my plug here. We are not kidding when we say, let us know what you want. We love buying things that you are going to use. Assuming it's good for the circulation stats, assuming it is within the remit of our collection development policy. Well, also assuming I can even buy it again. Streaming services don't care about you. Yes. Um, so you should all yell at Hulu mm-hmm. until they put only murders in the building on DVD. Um, yep. And Amazon for Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah. Uh, so but we have a fun little thing called a purchase request form. Yes. It is available both in person and on our website. If you say, hey, you don't seem to own this. I would like you to own this. I can make that happen. Fill out that handy dandy purchase request form. Asterisk if it's available for us to buy. Asterisk if it's within the remit of our collection development policy. 
which is available on the website. That's right. And if it's movies, it's going to go to Simon. Yes. Yeah. And if it's uh, children's nonfiction or uh, children's books and languages other than English or uh, teaching resources, it's or Mary Graham. Maybe, or maybe it's music and it's going to go to Pietro and Michelle. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, like, Julia, if it's a if it's a children's city. You can come to the library and say, hey, yeah. I, I heard this name Stephen Malcolm's referenced in the Barbie movie. I want to listen <laughs> to that album. Yeah. Or you could say... Hey, what's the deal with the Godfather? I've heard a lot. <laughs> but uh, you do not have to know who is in charge of that section. Just walk up to any friendly no. library worker and say, behold, or, my purchase request form. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd like a children's nonfiction book about horses. You could also go to uh, Mary Graham. I'm making Barbie references. Yeah, they're going to be in different places versus if they're wild or domestic horses. I'm really sorry. You're oh. going to have to come ask at the desk. Melville mm. Dewey, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> This has been another episode of Lulu's Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library, and we love the Blues Brothers. That's just the end of the story. Yep. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and please leave a positive review. It'll help us find more listeners, and come get your library card, because it's literally days away from the library card sign-up month. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>